Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our podcasts are supported by advertising, and I'm really pleased that Quip is advertising with our program because they've got an amazing product. When was the last time you replaced your toothbrush? Do you always brush twice a day for a full two minutes? You know, these are important habits that have a huge impact on your health. And I grew up with so many misunderstandings about brushing my teeth that I, you know, that frankly, I didn't learn about until I got my Quip electric toothbrush. And they're the ones who told me, you only need a little tiny dot of toothpaste, for example. And you don't need to scrub the crap out of your mouth. You just two minutes gently with a toothbrush twice a day. You don't need to do it three times a day. You don't need to get hysterical about it. My OCD had kicked in back when I was a teenager around brushing my teeth, and I think I frankly damaged my gums going nuts with all this electric toothbrushes and stuff. Quip is a really great new electric toothbrush that's gentle and really works. It fixes those problems. It does this with a lightweight and sleek design, simple time vibrations, and guiding pulses to give you a perfect two-minute clean. Bulkier electric brushes have awkward charging stands, modes you don't need. They cost five times as much, and here's the amazing thing. Quip starts at just $25. And you can get brush head refills automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for only five bucks. And shipping is free. Quip has been featured in GQ, Oprah's O-List, and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of the year. I agree. Go to getquip.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, right now and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Tom. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash T-H-O-M. And when you do... You're also supporting our program and our podcast. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends. Patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. There you go. The hearing has wrapped up the prosecutor who is a registered Republican out of Maricopa County, hired by the Republicans, presumably to make Dr. Ford look bad. You know, she tried to imply, for example, that when Dr. Christine Ford had asked the committee to come out to California to take her testimony and had suggested that she was afraid of flying, the, the prosecutor, Ms. Mitchell, uh, elicited that acknowledgement from Dr. Ford. Yes, I said that. And then she said, but haven't you been to Tahiti? Haven't you been to Australia? Have, or not Australia. She said she hadn't been there. Haven't you been to uh, Hawaii? Haven't you been to Costa Rica? Didn't you fly on airplanes to all those places? I mean, basically, this was, you know, an attempt to take down the witness, as far as I could tell. And she was doing, I think, the same thing with the uh, polygraph toward the very end there. I got to tell you, the, the, the whole thing about flying, and I'm guessing probably most people feel this way, 
I fly a fair amount and I'm afraid of flying and I'll put that right out there. I'm a licensed pilot. I got my pilot's license when I was 20 years old. I have flown little airplanes all by myself. I mean, with Louise, Louise and I literally from Lansing, Michigan to Los Angeles to, to Phoenix to, I mean, you know, we, we flew all over the place and I almost killed us twice. And you know, <laughs> which is one of the things that scares me. And I've been in a couple of plane, you know, big commercial plane situations. Now they don't pretty much do this and haven't in the last 15 years or so. They don't take off and land in thunderstorms anymore, but they used to all the time, which is why airplanes used to fly out, fall out of the sky all the time. And I hated it. I was on a Eastern Airlines flight out of LaGuardia one time that we were climbing out. We were probably around five, 6,000 feet when the plane got hit by lightning. And the engines all went, and the lights all went out. And, and you know, the, the woman across the aisle from me reached across and grabbed my arm and screamed. I mean, it was just, it was nuts. I was on a, on a Philippine air fly, uh, flight going into the Philippines, into Manila, uh, uh, through uh, Hurricane Typhoon Stephen. And literally, the compartments above us fell open. Uh, this luggage was falling on us. The plane was, I mean, it was just nuts. But I still get on airplanes, right? I don't like it. I always have a drink, sometimes two, before I get on a plane. And I sit and I listen to music with noise-canceling headphones to try to pretend I'm not on the plane. But I do it. And, you know, it just seemed like a cheap shot to me. We're going to go back to uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testifying before the United States Senate. Ms. Mitchell, will you proceed for, uh, Dr. for Senator Lee? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Dr. Ford, um, um, in reading the Washington Post article, it mentions that this incident that we're here about contributed to anxiety and PTSD problems with which you have struggled. The word contributed, does that mean that there are other things that have happened that have also contributed to anxiety and PTSD? I think that's a great question. I think the etiology of anxiety and PTSD is multifactorial. So um, that was certainly a critical risk, risk that uh, we would call it a risk factor in science. So that would be a predictor of the symptoms that I now have. Uh, it doesn't mean that other things that have happened in my life would, have, would make it worse or better. There are other risk factors as well. So have there been other things then that have contributed to the anxiety and PTSD that you suffered? Well, I think there's sort of biological predispositions that everyone in here has for particular disorders. So I can't rule out that I would have some biological predisposition to be what about know, an anxious type person. What about environmental? Um, environmentally, uh, not that I can think of. Certainly no, nothing as striking as that event. Okay. In your interview with the Washington Post, you said that you told your husband early in your marriage that you had been a victim of, and I quote, physical abuse. In your statement, you said that before you were married, you told him that you had experienced, quote, a sexual assault. Do these two things refer to the same incident? Yes. And at either point on these two times, did you use any names? No. Okay. May I ask Dr. Ford, how did you get to Washington? In an airplane. Okay. It's, I asked that because it's been reported by the press that you 
would not submit to an interview. This is where she's going to attack because her. Because of your fear of flying. Saying, is wait that a minute, true? you're lying here. Should we believe you well, anywhere I was else? Willing, I was hoping Listen that they would come to me, but then I uh, realized that was an unrealistic request. It would have been a quicker trip for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, that was certainly what I was hoping was to avoid having to get on an airplane, but I eventually was able to uh, get up the gumption with the help of some friends and get on the plane. When you were here in uh, the mid-Atlantic mid area back in uh, August, uh, end of July, August, how did you get here? Also by airplane. I come here once a year during the summer to visit my family. Okay. I'm sorry, not here. I go to Delaware. Okay. Thanks. Um, in fact, you fly fairly frequently for your hobbies and your You've had to fly for your work, is that true? Correct, unfortunately. Um, you, you were a consulting biostatistician in Sydney, Australia, is that right? I've never been to Australia, but the company that I worked for is based in Australia, and they have an office in San Francisco, California. Okay. I, I don't think I'll make it to Australia. <laughs> it is long. Um, I also saw on your CV that you list the following interests of surf travel, and you, in parentheses, put Hawaii, Costa Rica, South Pacific Islands, and French Polynesia. Have you been all to those places? Correct. By airplane? Yes. And your interests also include oceanography, uh, Hawaiian and Tahitian culture. Did you travel by air as a part of those interests? Correct. Thank you very much. Easier for me to travel going that direction when it's a vacation. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for being here, Dr. Ford. Uh, you know, in my old job as a prosecutor, we investigated reports like this. So it gave me a window on the types of cases that hurt women and hurt all of us. And I would always tell the women that came before us that they were going to have to tell their story before a jury box of strangers. And you've had to tell your story before the entire nation. For so many years, people swept cases like yours under the rug. They'd say what happens inside a house didn't belong in the courthouse. Well, the times have changed. So I just want to thank you for coming forward today and for sharing your report with us. Now, I understand that you've taken a polygraph test. Dr. Ford, um, that found that you were being truthful when you described what happened to you. Can you tell us why you decided to take that test? I was uh, meeting with attorneys. I was interviewing various attorneys, and the attorneys uh, asked if I was willing to take it, and I said, absolutely. That said, it was almost as anxiety-provoking as an airplane flight. Okay. Um, and you've talked about your recollections um, and seeing Mark Judge at that Safeway. If there had been an appropriate reopening of this background check and FBI interviews, would that help you find the time period if you knew when he worked at that Safeway? I feel like I could be much more helpful if I could be provided with that date through employment records or the IRS or something, Any, anything so that Thank would you. help. I would assume that's true. Dr. Ford, under federal law, and I don't expect you to know this, but statements made to medical professionals are considered to be more reliable. There's a federal rule of evidence about this. Uh, you told your counselor about this back in 2012. Is that right? My therapist, mm -hmm. my individual therapist, correct. Right. 
and I understand that your husband was also present when you spoke about this incident in front of a counselor, and he recalls you using Judge Kavanaugh's name. Is that right? Yes, I just have to slow down a minute because I might have been confusing. So there were two separate incidents yes. where it's reflected in my medical record. I talked about it more than those two times, mm -hmm. um, but therapists don't typically write down content as much as they write down process. They usually are tracking your symptoms and not your mm -hmm. story and the facts. I just happened right. to have it in my record twice. So the first time is in 2012 with my husband in couples therapy with the quibbling over the remodel. And then in 2013 with my individual okay. therapy. So if, if uh, someone had actually done an investigation, your husband would have been able to say that you named his name at that time. Correct. Okay. Um, I know you've been concerned with your privacy throughout the process. Um, and you first requested that your account be kept confidential. Can you briefly tell us why? Uh, yes. So as I stated before, once uh, I was unsuccessful in getting my information to you before the candidate was chosen, my original intent was to get the information when there was still a list of other candidates available. Uh, and once that was not successful, and I saw that persons were very supportive of the nominee, I tracked it okay. all summer and realized that when I was calculating that risk-benefit ratio that it looked like I was going to just you know, suffer only for no reason. Okay. You know, from my experience um, with memory, I remember distinctly things that happened to me in high school or happened to me in college, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't exactly remember the date. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't exactly remember the time. I sometimes may not even remember the exact place mm -hmm. uh, where it occurred, but I remember the interaction. And many people are focused today on what you're not able to remember about that night. I actually think you remember a lot. I'm gonna phrase it a little differently. Can you tell us what you don't forget about that night? The stairwell, the living room, the bedroom, the bed on the right side of the room as you walk into Testimony right. before the United States um, Senate. Bathroom this in close proximity. Tom Hartman. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's testimony to the U.S. Senate. Rita, where are you calling from? Fairfield, Iowa. Hey, Rita, what's on your mind? <laughs> Yeah, I just had a thought about the fear of flying. I had a fear of flying for a long time, and I did a lot of work on it. And my fear of flying came from being um, afraid to be in closed places that I couldn't get out of. And that would relate to her experience of being locked in a room and being terrified for her life or her well-being and not being able to get out. Yeah, That absolutely. was where my fear of flying, flying came from, and yeah. that's all I have to say. Okay. Thanks, Rita. Yeah, my, mine is just, it's, uh, you know, is, is a control issue. I, you know, I'll acknowledge that right up front that, um, you know, like so many other people, I'm a control freak. I, you know, I want to be in control of my world and my environment and uh, particularly knowing everything that can go wrong in an airplane because that gets just beaten into you in, in flight school. But, you know, I, I just, but back to Christine Blasey Ford. I thought that, you know, when this prosecutor basically went after her based on this, that it was just a cheap shot. I think it's going to hurt rather than help, but we'll see. Ron in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Ron, thanks for listening to 1350 AM. What's up? 
Uh, I was just telling you, uh, screener there, that as a seven-year-old child, I was sexually assaulted. And, of course, I'm a man by one of my relatives, and I never, ever, ever forgot it. I yeah. never told anybody about it because I was afraid because it was a relative. To, that person passed away about 10 years ago, but it tormented me for a long time. You never forget the moment that happens. And believe me, you never want to relive it again. From that point forward, anything I did with that relative, I always made sure that my other brother or somebody was with me. There was no, there was none of that uh, me and him by myself with them. Yeah, and it, was, it, was, it was tormenting. It, it tormented me, and I still think about it. And I'm just saying, you don't know until you've experienced something like that what you've got to go through and what you did because people, people that it's just like I was an investigator. It caused me to be a criminal defense investigator because I know that people have things happen to them that aren't right. And this thing isn't always wrong, no matter whether it's a, it's a relative or not. And a lot of times it's more more apt to be with children like that. Somebody that knows them has motive and opportunity. It could be a relative, it could be a babysitter, it could be anything. But what I'm trying to say, it doesn't change the fact that it, it will. And it, it did for me for a long time. It caused me not to be able to get close to, to other people, especially especially men. Uh, because of that, and of course, it, it, it did affect me with my with my relationship with my wife as well. Uh, that's very important. You know, the the numbers, the official numbers, are one in six men, one in three women. I think the actual numbers are probably much higher than that. And of course, assaults are much more likely to come from people that we know or who are close to us. Ron, thanks for sharing your story. I, I know that that's not an easy thing to do. Dr. Justin Frank, the guy who wrote Bush on the Couch and Obama on the couch. He's a psychiatrist in, in private practice and also a professor in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. In fact, he came into the studio when we were in the D.C. studio to talk about President Trump, a phrase that very rarely comes off my lips. M my apologies. About Donald Trump. <laughs> and he laid it all out, and his book just came out. So we're going to be talking with Dr. Justin Frank, and then we'll pick up your calls and your thoughts on what we saw this morning. I'm really curious if you think that this is coming across a fair process and how it's all going to play out in your mind. You're listening to Tom Hartman. If you want the absolute best shirts around, you have to go to CT Shirts. I want you to try them because once you do, you'll never go back to some random shirt off the shelf of a department store. Plus, CT shirts come in custom sizes, so you're not messing with ill-fitted sleeve links or neck sizes. It's time to step up your game and look your best. So I got you a special CT shirts deal. Three CT shirts for $99. CT shirts use the softest, most exquisite fabrics ever. Worker casual, tie or no tie, tucked or untucked. When you're wearing a CT shirt, you will look your best. So here's the deal. One CT shirt normally costs 100 bucks, but right now you'll get three CT shirts for just $99. That's 60% off. And CT shirts come with free delivery, a six-month quality guarantee, and free returns. If you hurry, 99 bucks gets you three amazing CT shirts. So go to www.ctshirts.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's www.ctshirts.com slash Tom. Welcome back. Dr. Justin Frank, the author of Bush on the Couch and Obama on the Couch and numerous articles and multiple visitor guests to our program, is on the line with us. Dr. Frank is a psychoanalyst and clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University. Bush on the Couch, as I said, Obama on the Couch, his previous books, ObamaOnTheCouch.com is the website, still using that URL. 
You can tweet him at Justin Frank MD. Dr. Frank, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's, Hi, Tom. Hi. Nice to talk to you. It's great having you with us. Trump on the couch, inside the mind of the president. Before we get into your book, I'm curious if you were watching the hearings where Dr. Blasey Ford was testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee. No, I missed them all. Okay. I would have loved to have gotten your thoughts on it, but perhaps another time. I could make something up, but it would <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't work. So, Donald Trump, where do you start when you're trying to psychoanalyze somebody who I assume you haven't met? Right. Well, one of the things that I remember from our last conversation, which I think was between the time he was elected and the time he took office. Yes. Yeah, towards the very end of 2016, I remember saying to you something that has turned out to be quite true, which is that he is the kind of person who will parentify the rest of us and make us have to take care of him rather than him as president take care of us, which is what all other presidents either try to do or, you know, make an effort to do. And that is that he externalizes responsibility, and this way he allows himself to be free, to be the baby, to do whatever he wants. And we're the ones who have to pick up after him, manage him, make sure he doesn't blow us up, all of those things. Is that a unique uh, psychopathology, a lack of a developmental step or whatever? I mean, how rare is that kind of thing, and is it associated with his narcissism, or are they separate comorbidities? Well, they're comorbidities. I think that what's happened is that he is a person who functions the way unconsciously, he's not this kind of person, literally, but unconsciously, he's very much like a drug addict who needs to have his fix in order to manage anxiety. He's got so much anxiety that he doesn't know how to manage it. So what he's done growing up is he externalizes his anxiety by, you know, hitting other people as a kid. He was in detention every day by converting any kind of impulse or any kind of feeling into an impulse that he acts on, like with his tweets or with his sense of outrage. So what happens is by doing that, which is what addicts do, and that's why they need a fix, he gets us to be anxious instead of him. Now, the fix he needs is his rallies. He needs that kind of a fix. Love and approval, basically. Love and approval. That will calm him down. It will manage his anxiety. So he needs the fix of going to rallies, the fix of having something external to himself that will calm himself down. So when I've treated people who are addicts, sometimes they'll come into my office extremely agitated in the beginning of a session. By the time they leave, they're calm, and I'm agitated. <laughs> okay. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what are they going to do when they leave? And are they going to start shooting up or whatever it is? I'm yeah. all agitated. Yeah. They have transferred their anxiety to me. I feel it. Wow. That's what he does. And it's amazing. So it is like an addict. It is like some alcoholics do. They make everybody else feel anxious so they don't have to feel it. I have. And that's one way of managing his anxiety. I have a couple of friends, good friends, who are clinical psychologists. And actually, we've had a couple of them on this program. One, a very close friend, another just a person who had written about it. And I thought, hey, let's get around and talk about it. Who have pointed out that, and one physician, family practice doc, this was about a year ago, who have all pointed out that since Donald Trump was elected, 
in their private practices with just average normal people, they're seeing an explosion in anxiety disorders. They're seeing, they're seeing an, a radical increase in requests for things like Valium or Prozac, the physician was telling me. No, well, when Trump, when Trump was born, when, by the time when Trump was two, he had a near loss of his mother, who almost died following the birth of the younger brother. So because of this, he had a lack of a strong maternal force in his life. Presumably, he wasn't of, even touched or nurtured for a while during no, that period of time. No, before that, and he wasn't after that. So and does so, he have detachment disorder? Well, he has a form of detachment disorder, but rather than talking about it diagnostically, rather than calling things disorders, I think that his character is such that he never learned to contain anxiety. Parents help a child manage their anxiety because every child has anxiety. Every human being has anxiety right. of one kind or another. But he never had any help managing it. So what he's done is he's externalized it. What he's done is he makes all of your friends, patients, and my patients too, and people I know, anxious because he disavows his own anxiety. That's how he manages it. He must be doing this in double form to the people yes. in the White House, the people with yes. whom he works. I am sure that the people in the White House are extremely anxious, and they're anxious both because he makes them anxious, and they're worried about what he's going to do next. Right. And so I would think that when they watch him do a press conference like he did, I think those people were very anxious. They weren't entertained by his antics. They were afraid that he was going to say something horrible or do something terrible. It was like the way a mother watches a kid, you know, uh, in the jungle gym or something. You know, you're right. afraid they're going to do something. And that's right. how he gets people to feel. And in fact, there were photos released of John Kelly, his chief of staff, General John Kelly, with his face in his hands and, I mean, in these classic gestures of, oh, my God, or I can't believe that, or, oh, right. no. Yeah. But it's also, I can't take it. Right, yeah. It's so, not only so, I can't believe it, it's the anxiety is so great that he makes other people unable to even manage their own anxiety. So there are all these comparisons between Trump and Hitler and Trump and Mussolini and Trump and, and Duterte. Have we seen this kind of constellation of personality disorders and, or tics or types or whatever you want to call it? in any other modern or historic world leaders? And if so, can we expect those patterns to be played out by Donald Trump? What do we learn from that? Well, if he's at all like Hitler, he's a poor man's Hitler because he doesn't know how to galvanize pride and how to make America feel good about themselves. He really does make us anxious. Hitler calmed people. He hmm. didn't make them anxious. Hitler said, we're being invaded by Jews and bad people and communists and whoever it was. So he organized and galvanized in a way that Trump sort of tried to do with the Mexican rapists and all that stuff and the Muslims. But because he doesn't love America the way Hitler loved Germany, which he did, he can't do that. He can't get us to feel that kind of patriotism. So he's not quite as dangerous as Hitler was because he's incompetent, basically. Much less basically. dangerous. Much less dangerous internationally. Right. I think he's dangerous because he's more destructive 
than Hitler because, domestically, because he doesn't care about how our country is functioning. He only wants to get rid of taxes for the rich and get rid of regulations, which is unconsciously about his father, who he couldn't stand, who was a great regulator of his behavior when he was a kid and kept trying to regulate him. So in that sense, he's not at all like Hitler, who was much more of a nationalist than Trump is. I don't think Trump cares that much about America. He only cares about himself because he's very needy. He needs love. He needs reassurance. And when you get rid of anxiety like that, you're left pretty hollow. You have to be able to hold your anxiety and manage it and, right. and make sense of it. And, and instead, he just gets rid of it. Yeah, it's one of the keys of adulthood. He, Dr. Yes, Frank, we, we, just, we only have two minutes. How should America respond to Trump, A, and how should we all be responding to the anxiety that he produces in us? First thing we can do is to recognize that he can't change. So we have to stop complaining about him. We have to stop whining about him. We have to put that aside. This is who he is. He is our president, and we're stuck with him. And people need to accept that. It's like facing reality, which is something that Trump has never done. But we have to do it. Got it. Once we face reality, then we can start to think, because we're going to get rid of hope that he can change. We have to look inside. So that's what's happening in the electorate right now, where women, minorities, all kinds of people are running for office because they realize that our system is not going to help us. He is who he is, and there's no way around it. Once you accept that, you can take action. I think that's the most important single lesson of this presidency, because he is a living version of road rage, but it's not anonymous. It's presidential road rage in broad daylight. And I think when that's writ large, we have got to accept that that's who is our leader, and we have to face it and not keep hoping that something is and this and that. We can try to control them if we can, like, but General Kelly can't. I mean, nobody can. So I think he, we need to have as many safety things as possible and vote anybody who is an enabler of his out of office. And that includes the entire, I'm sorry to say, Republican Party. Yeah, amen. It's like uh, Bernie Sanders always used to say, despair is not an option. Get active. And it yes. sounds like that's well, your he prescription. He's making us do it. He's making us do it. Yeah. If we really face it. Amen. The book, Trump on the Couch, Inside the Mind of the President, Dr. Justin A. Frank, MD, author of uh, Bush on the Couch. Dr. Frank, thanks so much. It's always great talking. Thank you. I enjoy it always. Too. Thank you. I learned so much. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, let me pick it up from this notion, Donald Trump, the chaos machine. Yeah. I am the storm, he said. Right. I am the storm. This is important. I am. Donald Trump thinks he's God. Remember during the campaign, he said, I alone can fix this problem. Right. And then it was right after he made the two Corinthians. Right. And they were criticizing him about that. And he said, I am a great Christian, and I am. Mm. Evangelicals ought to know this, because I just went, oh my goodness, the blasphemy in that. Just to say that I am a great Christian is enough, but then to follow it up with, I am. To, what was the name that the Bush told Moses? He said, who are you? And the Bush said, I am, I am. I am. It's Exodus 3.14. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
that said to the bush, who shall I tell the people you are? And the bush said, I am. Right. Okay, and then you have, this is part of what's in the Gospel of John, and what it means is the seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the resurrection. I am the light. I am the bread of life. Donald, when he says I am, he really means it. He doesn't mean I am just a storm. And what did the bush go on to tell Moses? He said, I am. In extension went to say, I am your God. Right. And this is what Donald Trump really thinks. He thinks he's your God. I think he thinks he's a God, not the God. And I think that that's probably a perspective that is not uncommon among men of his class and age. Well, I think more, it's not the God. It's because in Exodus, the bush is telling Moses, I am your God. Right. The God of Abraham, your God. Yeah, that's true. That's Donald true. Trump thinks he's our God, the right. God of the American people. He, in fact, he's called us his people before. Yeah. He said yeah. that to a foreign leader. He said, my, I, wish, I wish my people behaved this way. Behave like the uh, North Koreans behave around yes. Kim. Yeah. Yes. Or the Saudis behave around uh, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman. Spot on, Paul. Spot on. And a great point. Lisa in Las Vegas. Lisa, what's on your mind? I don't know if you're familiar with Norman Vincent Peale. Oh, yeah. Apparently, Trump and his mother were followers of mm -hmm. his power of positive thinking. Yep. And it went on to say, change your thoughts and you can change your world. And to add to what the last caller was just saying, how Trump would say, uh, just listen to me, don't listen to anyone else. I know more than the generals. And then the article goes on to say the trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Hmm. And apparently some considered him dangerous because he had this hypnotic effect on people. And I guess Trump is kind of dangerous, too, in that way. Yeah. We do have a crisis in that we have a, an apparently mentally ill person in the White House and apparently increasingly incompetent. When you compare even just, you know, statements he made in the 80s to today, he's clearly losing it. On the one hand, on the other hand, he has always been a bigot and a racist and a misogynist. And uh, now we're seeing that writ large. Lisa, thank you. Well said. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's up? Um, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I just want to make the point that this assault in our democracy, this assault in our Supreme Court, putting people who are not qualified, this assault on, on, on our election, this is the equivalent of tank being on the street. This is the equivalent of military being on the street. So we have to get together to be able to vote this man out. In 2018, we have an opportunity to do that. All we have to do is deliver the Senate and the House to the Democrat, and it will take care of itself. Yeah. Well, it's, that's a strong argument for getting out and voting. Amen. Thank you, Omar. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. You know, every time I call in about a foreign affairs, you know, in the importance of it in Donald Trump's authoritarian campaign, you know, someone will call up and say, you know, they're a Trump supporter. Donald Trump hasn't invaded any countries and ISIS isn't celebrating in the streets. Well, both of those points are, are kind of moot because we haven't invaded any country in years. We don't use that language anymore. But recently, like what happened in Abbas in Khuzestan in Iran, I think everybody should be paying attention to because the Iranian government saying they're going to strike back against Israel and America's proxies. All right? has, has it been determined whether that was a Mech uh, terrorist group or whether it was a Sunni? Well, I guess Mech are Sunni. 
or maybe not, maybe I've got that wrong, but, or whether it was, you know, an Al-Qaeda-linked group. I know ISIS claimed credit for it, but the reports I was reading at the time were that were very skeptical of those claims. Yeah, it could be Balochs, could mm-hmm. be Balochistan as well. I mean, we've been, you know, we've been using... This is be a regional dispute. Yeah, well, you know, we've been fueling these proxies all over the Middle East, and Saddam Hussein said, and this goes back to your reference to Vietnam, Saddam Hussein, he said that he wanted to fight a North Vietnamese-style war against America. That's why he handed out weapons and released prisoners. He decentralized everything, and we all laughed, you know, it was too little too late. But I think from the grave, Saddam Hussein's going to come back and honest because I think this is exactly what's going on, and it's the path to American fascism. You know, small f, I don't mean any disrespect. You know, it's not Nazism, okay? But I think one terrorist attack, all the journalists, the fourth estate's going to fall right into line. They're going to support Donald Trump and say, for the good of the country, we need a strong father figure. From my point of view, it's really horrible what I'm seeing. But anyways, I think you're hitting on the periphery, Tom. Yeah, I share your analysis, Dave. Thank you. And let's hope not, right? Alexandria in Colorado. Hey, Alexandria, what's up? Hi, Tom. I believe Trump is a very insecure, unintelligent, ignorant man, and I think down deep he knows that about himself. Mm. All his life he's had to portray a brazen, virile attitude, and um, that's why he goes around espousing the very opposite of what he actually is. He's very fearful because he knows he's not a god. He knows he's ignorant. He's not a man of the people. He's not a man of intellect. I believe there's a big blue wave coming in November, and I hope that the Congress can undo everything he has done. I don't believe Kavanaugh will be confirmed. I would hope that Citizens United is overturned. There's many, many things a Democratic Congress could do to help return us back to what America is supposed to be and has proposed to be for 300 years or whatever. I believe somebody very, very intelligent, like yourself and other people, could knock down Trump very easily. There are some great candidates on the Democratic side. I mean, it's not like it's not like there's a shortage. We have an embarrassment of riches here. We'll see, it's just a matter of seeing where it all goes. Let's pick up some phone calls here. Linwood in Charlottesville, Virginia, watching us on YouTube. Hey, Linwood, what's up? What I saw this morning should make any American sick to their stomach with the with the representative government and the leaders that they elect. What I saw this morning is the Republican Party trying to hide behind not being sexist, but at the same time practicing subconscious sexism toward the woman that they hired to answer all the questions for all the representatives. How so? Well, the way they were sort of like, and if you, it, all of it was subconsciously, so you know you wouldn't have picked up on it if you didn't have your third eye open, mm-hmm. you would have noticed it that she was only there to cover for mostly a bunch of white men. I think they had these attitudes themselves, mm-hmm. and that's why that people, mostly white people, vote for them because many white people buy into this narrative. I think they 
actually like this sort of stuff. I mean, you have Trump voters, most of whom are white, who have said, oh, this is okay. There's nothing really wrong with this. And it's telling me, it's telling me what this nation really is. Yeah, so, to, so yeah. Linwood, to understand what you're saying, tell me if I've got this right. If Dr. Ford had been yeah. a, a, let's say, a black man, okay, let's strip gender yeah. out of this altogether, but, but yeah. a minority, had been a, had been a black man, and mm-hmm. if the white Republican senators had then hired a person to interrogate him who was also a black man, then by, I'm gonna tell you exactly, by, by replacing I, you, I, I gender with race, with it. it becomes more obvious. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. I already know where you're going with it because to the African-American perspective, they're going to accuse the Republican Party of already playing the role of tokenism. Right. They're using a token black as a way to kind of shield them from racism the same way they did under the President Obama. They, this is the same playbook they've played. They, I mean, in the fact that not one, I don't care what you know, nationality the woman is, not one woman has ever served on the Republican side, on the Judiciary Committee, reeks with guilt. It, it says it all right there in front of you. Yeah. You, don't need, it, it, you don't need to convince me. They say exactly how they feel about women, about people of color in this country. You stay in your place, nigger. You stay in your place, bitch. You stay in your place. Yeah. We white men run everything. And we even run you. Yep. So had this been racialized rather than genderized, this, this really kind of shows how far behind we all are when it comes to gender equality versus, you know, or at least the ideal of gender equality versus the ideal of racial equality. Because had, yeah. had they been interrogating a black man and hired a black man to do it, everybody would have said, oh, a token, uh, you know, kind of situation yeah. here. But when they hire a woman to interrogate a woman, people are going, oh, well, yeah, that sounds reasonable. It's tokenism. It is tokenism. It's straight up tokenism. And the fact that Mr. Grassley treated Miss Mitchell as like over talking over her when she wanted to ask a question. It was like as if, hey, we hired you to be a hired hand. Do your job and shut up. Yeah, it was disrespectful. I get it. Disrespectful. Yeah. Linwood, thank you. Thank you for uh, for enlightening me. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our podcasts are supported by advertising, and one of our advertisers is Harry's. By now, you probably know that I love shaving with Harry's. Nate uh, loves shaving with Harry's. In fact, everybody I know who's tried Harry's is like, whoa, this is incredible. You get an amazingly close shave with Harry's, a smooth, comfortable glide with their perfectly weighted razor. It's incredible. If you add Harry's fantastic smelling shave gel, you have the perfect recipe for the best shave you'll ever have. Harry's does all this and at a great price, too. They own their own world-class blade factory in Germany where they grind steel into sharp, durable blades that are made to last, and they pass the savings along to you. Don't confuse Harry's with those other pricey online brands that force you to subscribe. With Harry's, you can resupply whenever and however you want. Auto refills or one-off a la carte, your choice. And at just 2 bucks a cartridge, that's less than half the price of Gillette Fusion Pro Shield. For a limited time only, Harry's has a special offer for listeners of my podcast. New customers get $5 off a shave set from Harry's with the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. That means you get the starter set, the five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, travel cover, all for just 3 bucks, plus free shipping when you use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. Join the millions of guys who've already switched, including me, and go to harrys.com today. Use the code TOM at checkout to claim your offer. 
Welcome back. We're talking about uh, you know what we all saw on TV this morning, and uh, Linwood just uh, had just called uh, during the during the break and said, in in our conversation, we kind of came to an agreement about this, and I came to an understanding that I that I hadn't occurred to me before. Uh, I knew that there was something that seemed a little skeezy about you know these these eleven white men hiring a woman to interrogate a woman, but you know the the point uh, broadly that he was making was had. Dr. Ford been a black man and had the white men, the Republican white men on the committee hired a black man to interrogate him, then many people would have looked at that and said, that's tokenism, pure and simple. Like we've reached the point where we catch this kind of stuff when it's around race. We have not yet reached the point where we catch this stuff when it's around gender. Which goes back to the point that many of the suffrage movement made between the 1870s and the 1920s that black men got the right to vote 60, 70 years before white women did, or any women did, black women as well. That, you know, gender has been kind of the last barrier. So, anyhow, pick up your calls here. Otis in Yorktown, Virginia. Hey, Otis, what's up? How you doing, Tom? I'll try to be as concise as I can in, in keeping with what Linwood just said. Another thing, I want to get the uh, the field on whether or not you think that uh, I get the wrong impression. It seemed to me the way the questions were framed from a prosecutor who's supposedly not prosecuting because this is not a trial, right. but the framing of the questions in one segment on the handling of the letter, the anonymous letter, how she came to Feinstein, uh, it seems to me they were trying to indict Feinstein's handling as if she had some nefarious plot to call these women up and, and delay things. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, Rachel Mitchell is a Republican from, America, from, from Joe Arpaio's Maricopa County who was hired by the Republicans and briefed by the Republicans. And, and, and presumably many of her questions came from Republican staffers on the committee in order to destroy the credibility of Dr. Ford and enhance the credibility of Brett Kavanaugh. And I don't know why nobody else is coming right out and saying that. You know, look at her damn paycheck. It seems to me, because I actually lived in Tucson during a period when they had a string of rapists going on there, and that was the impetus for her to even get her job. But I was still looking at the fact that they framed those questions to supposedly direct them at Dr. Ford, but in fact, they were really scrutinizing Diane Feinstein's handling of all of this stuff as though she's guilty of the Well, that's, that's because the Koch brothers had tried to put Feinstein on trial with this uh, Judicial Crisis Network ad about Diane Feinstein. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Otis, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, Violence Against Women Act has 163 Democratic co-sponsors in the House of Representatives. You know how many Republicans? have signed on to reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act. This was passed on a bipartisan basis, both Republicans and Democrats, back in 1994 in the wake of the Anita Hill hearings. And how many Republicans have signed on to this bill? Zero in the House of Representatives. Zero. And the Republicans who voted against it back in 2013, when it passed the Senate, 78 to 22, among those 22 no votes... For the last time, the, the Violence Against Women uh, reauthorization happened in 2013. Among those no votes in the Senate, Chuck Grassley, gee, head of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. Orrin Hatch, chief curmudgeon on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Lindsey Graham, chief suck-up on the Senate Judiciary Committee. John Cornyn, 
uh, chief, uh, I don't know, Texan on the committee. Mike Lee, uh, I was going to say kind of chief, chief cre creepy guy, but that, that distinction goes to Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, chief cre creepy guy on the Senate Judiciary Committee. The Republicans are having absolutely nothing to do with the Violence Against Women Act. When did this become partisan? When did the Republican Party become the party of, you know, hating women? And, and now you've got this 44-page amicus brief, front of the court brief, filed by Orrin Hatch, who's also on the Judiciary Committee and who also voted against the Violence Against Women Act. Orrin Hatch saying that if Trump pardons, this is a Supreme Court case, the Supreme Court is going to hear this case in October. If Trump pardons Manafort or Flynn or anybody else, his son, whatever, then they cannot be prosecuted by state courts because the, that would be double jeopardy. This is before the Supreme Court now. And, you know, it, it's like, seriously? Well, yeah, seriously. This is, this is what we're doing. This, you know, we, we want to make sure that Donald Trump can pardon people and that those pardons will stick and they can't be essentially overridden by a democratic state like Connecticut or, or New York or Massachusetts where these crimes might have happened. And it's Orrin Hatch who's doing this. This is a big deal. The, the case before the Supreme Court is Gamble versus the United States. So watch this space. Pauline in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Pauline, thanks for listening to our uh, iHeartRadio station there. What's up? Uh, yes, I was just going to comment on those uh, men on the, on the Judiciary Committee, Hatch and mm -hmm. Blake. I don't, I don't know if Lee, I think Lee is too. Yeah, and, and Grassley. Crap, I call him Crapple. They call him Creeple. Yeah. But um, they're, they're Mormons. Nationally, there's a group of Mormon women who are protesting what's going on in the treatment of women in our government in Washington. Hmm. And for Mormon women to stand up to the men is unbelievable because I've been around the Mormon religion yeah. off and on. Yeah, Mike and, Lee and Aaron Hatch are both Mormons. Who else on the committee is? Is Flake a Mormon? Uh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I Flake didn't realize that. Wow. Absolutely. So, so and the, Lee. And, yeah, Lee. and Mike Lee is a Mormon. Yes. Yeah, well, he's from That's, Utah. Yeah, Lee and, yeah. and Hatch, yeah. And huh. Flake and, and Crapel. Uh, yeah. But anyway, the women in the Mormon church have stood up to the men, and it is a national group, and I, I should have written down the name, but I yeah. did not. No, I but it was fantastic to hear because the Mormon women do not stand up in the Mormon church. Yeah, no, it's a so, great thing. I, I recently saw a headline of that effect. Uh, Pauline, thanks for the, putting that on my radar. I appreciate it. You know, I think my, my disposition, I am naturally optimistic, and I've read enough history, and I've lived long enough to know that this country's been through hell before. I mean, we, you know, we, we went through a civil war. We went through the Great Depression. We went through the, 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 the Spanish flu in World War I. We went through World War II. Um, we, we went through the, 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 the burning of the White House in 1812, uh, the War of 1812. We have been through hell and back, and we have, so far, always bounced back a little more democratic than when we started out. And I don't mean party. I mean, you know, the, the, the concept. Right. And so uh, I feel like I'm watching cycles of history 
And uh, yeah, I wrote about this at some length in, in my book, The Crash of 2016, which you know is unfortunately titled. Um, but I still think that you know what I predicted in that book is coming, and and that when when we get out of it, things will be better because people are we are moving forward, we are learning, we are progressing, um, things are getting better. So in fact, I was uh, last night. This is something you may want to look up. July twelfth. 1816, I'm pretty sure. I'm doing this from memory. Uh, July 12th, 1816, a fellow by the name of Samuel Kershaval, K-E-R-C-H-E-V-A-L, wrote, uh, wrote a letter to uh, Thomas Jefferson. On July 12th, Jefferson answered it at some length. And he talked about this exact issue because the Federalists had pretty much taken over the entire federal government at this point. Jefferson was eight years out of the White House. And, and he was talking about how you know, we, we have to reboot our government periodically, and we have, to, we have to be amenable to change. And as times change and circumstances change, our understanding of the laws has to change. Uh, we just, you know, what can you do? You know, despair is not an option, as Bernie used to say, and I absolutely agree with it. So, you know, and, and, and I've found that the best antidote for feeling powerless or feeling concerned or feeling freaked out is to do something. So that's why I come into work every single day. Mike in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Mike. What's up? Tom, thanks so much for what you do. I was recently made aware of a different facet of the resistance. Mm -hmm. A friend who's on dating sites, a male, said that many women are saying, if you voted for Trump, don't bother contacting me. And one person said, if you voted for Trump and regret it, I might think about it. Uh, yeah. accepting your uh, I, I am waiting for for you know one of the companies that has the technology of dating sites all figured out to come up with so that they can easily clone it you know under a different company name and to come up with a dating site uniquely for Trump supporters and uniquely for Trump haters there you go I'm actually <laughs> in Roswell you're familiar with Roswell I think yeah. uh, Roswell Georgia yeah I used uh, to live there he, even here, we have a record number of candidates running against the establishment Republicans, and many, many, many of them are women. We're so grateful great. for what they're doing, and we thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, and great to hear from you, and thanks for watching us there in, in Atlanta. Lois in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hey, Lois, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Hi, Tom. I'm a little nervous. First time caller. Thank um, you. I was just wondering if anybody thought about the fact that the Republicans have the fix in while Obama was being president. They were working behind the scenes to make sure that they never lost power again. Yep. And, and so they took his presidency to set everything up in their, on their uh, side so that they are not making any moves to try to do the right thing because they already know that they have the fix in already. And Trump was saying something about China being uh, meddling in our elections. He never mentioned Russia meddling in our elections. Right. They're not worried about being reelected because they feel like they have everything wrapped up in their behalf before the election even starts. And that's not to say that everybody should not get out and vote. They should even more so. But keep that in mind that they already think that they have the, the fix in and they're not going to lose. Yeah. The big hijacking of democracy in the modern era really began in a big way in the, the 2000 election with all these uh, guys, the, the phony baloney Brooks Brothers riot down in Florida that shut down the, the count and that going to the Supreme Court. And who worked on that campaign? Who was down there helping advise the Republicans? Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch. 
and John Roberts. So we've got three Republicans now going on to the Supreme Court who are all graduates of, of that campaign to shut down the, uh, shut down the recount, the, the Brooks Brothers riots. And then on top of that, if Rod Rosenstein is fired or quits, the guy who's going to replace him, this uh, Neil, uh, I'm forgetting his last name, but whatever, uh, you know, the guy who's going to replace him, he was part of the Brooks Brothers riots. He was part of the, that whole campaign to, uh, you know, to, to stop the recount in Florida, which, by the way, when they finally did the recount a year later in, in November of 2001, they published the results and they found, hey, by any measure, Al Gore won the election in Florida. That was when the billionaire class that was funding the Republicans, I think, realized that they can get away with murder. And they have been doing it consistently ever since. You're absolutely right. The, the caucus room conspiracy, trying to kill off the Obama presidency, freezing his judicial appointments for the last two years, including Merrick Garland. They are playing dirty hardball for keeps. Lois, thank you for the call. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com. And loving what you do, new book by Ellen Ratner. On the line with us is... Congressman, former Congressman Bob Ney, the author of Sideswiped, the book that tells you how Washington, D.C. really works. Hey, Bob. Hello, Tom. How are you? I am well. It seemed to me that Rachel Mitchell's it's efforts to trip up Dr. Ford. Oh, you're afraid of flying? Oh, how did you get on an airplane? Oh, you, you, you're a psychologist. Don't you know the best way to inter interview somebody who's a sexual trauma or a trauma victim, any kind of trauma, is to uh, do it one-on-one -on -one in a quiet setting. Why didn't you do that with yourself? Uh, I mean, it's just this bizarre stuff. It looked to me like uh, this hurt the Republicans more than it helped. And do you know if Rachel Mitchell is going to interview uh, and thus you know, do the whole prosecutor routine on Brett Kavanaugh, or is he going to have a bunch of uh, old male uh, Republican senators giving him a tongue bath? I'm assuming that uh, she will not do that with uh, Kavanaugh. Now, here's why. Uh, and on the Republican side, I would say they, they did the right strategy to, because they don't have a female member, and they couldn't place somebody all of a sudden on the committee. Now, technically, by the way, they can. They can actually put a female senator on the committee, but they wouldn't have anybody they actually would have done that with. Right. So they, I think, to soften the blow of uh, male you know, Republicans uh, questioning her, they brought in a, uh, a female. So I think that part of it was, was good uh, for them to do, uh, because they would, you know, darn if you do, darn if you don't on that one. Sure. Now, having said that, I'm going to give an observation here that might sound really weird to you. It almost seemed to me at one point in this, but, well, yes, of course she was trying to get towards Feinstein and what she did and the flying aspect because people have asked, you know, well, she can't fly because of the trauma inflicted with Kavanaugh, but she could fly over the world. I understand, you know, she was trying to get at something there. Now, what, what that does, I don't know, Tom, honestly, for anybody, you know, in this whole situation. Well, Don Jr. It, tweeted it out. He, I just replied to his tweet, uh, you know, the, essentially implying that uh, if she... If she was, uh, you know, uh, that she, if she lied about flying, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, I mean, they're going to pick all kinds of things, and I just don't think it's significant at the end whether she didn't want to fly or maybe she was. She gets a break on that. Um, in my opinion, this uh, uh, prosecutor they brought in is almost building a case that authorities would look at and say, "Well, we, do we really want to prosecute Kavanaugh on this?" Is he really prosecutable on this? Yeah. Almost a, a, a case in case he doesn't even get this nomination, which, by the way, uh, if he doesn't perform up to 190% standards, 
I think you're going to see the name Amy Barrett uh, thrown out there. Right. Uh, yeah, I think Kavanaugh is very close after uh, this testimony. And if, if everybody just, you know, does it the right way. And, and then everybody will go, oh, isn't that wonderful? She's a woman not knowing that she's probably more of a hardcore right winger than Brett Kavanaugh is. Oh, she makes Brett Kavanaugh look like Bernie Sanders. Yeah, oh. yeah she is conservative, conservative, and they will ram that through because of fear of losing the Senate. But uh, right. I think Kavanaugh is in trouble. And I think that um, he's also you know, facing, uh, isn't he also facing the problem, the possibility, uh, not just of prosecution, but also of impeachment from the D.C. District Court, Circuit Court? Well, I see. I think that I think the prosecutor in an indirect way or maybe on purpose set up questions out there that would make the justice system say, hmm, you know, do we, I'm, I, she's not a strong I enough I was witness. Gonna, I was going to make a weird observation here, and I'm observing that. Her questioning was so kind of bizarre, but it was almost to build a case. And if I'm a watch, if I'm watching this, I have jurisdiction. I'm going to say, "Well, do I really enter into this case to pursue him?" Almost like it's a given. He's not going to. He's not going to be the nominee. Mm. It's weird. I mean, I thought it was strange. That's interesting. I hadn't even considered question. that. I I thought she was trying to salvage the nomination, but maybe she was all just trying to protect Brett Kavanaugh and keep him on the D.C. Circuit Court. At some point, uh, because I don't know where the questioning led to. You know, in, in his, uh, I, I forget the years, I think it was 2002 and 2004, he was interviewed twice for the D.C. Circuit Court. And the first time he lied so many times in his Senate testimony that they couldn't get him through. And he, they came back two years later to try and get him on the D.C. Court. Uh -huh. And that time they let him through. Well, I'm going to predict he's going to get pulled. I will say one other thing, if I could, because I watched mm -hmm. this observation. Are there some holes in um, Professor Ford's testimony? After 30-some years, there's going to be holes in anybody's, okay? Sure. I mean, things could be picked apart. So, But I must say this. You know, I have chaired hearings. I've been in hearings. Uh, witnesses get very, very nervous in hearings for no reason when witnesses come. It's a big deal. I must say, Amy Barrett is the next nominee. I, that one I'm going to I'm going to predict. What's her background? Bet on it. Uh, she's a, what, a Pennsylvania judge. I should know more about this, but yeah. very, very conservative. Um, um, I don't know that much about her, but I know the conservatives. This I do know. Uh, conservatives that I know really wanted her. They did not want Kavanaugh. They wanted oh, her. Interesting. Yes, interesting. isn't it? Yeah. Is, is she uh, also anti-abortion? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Huh. Yes. Yeah. So we'll yeah, see where this goes. Anti-abortion. Okay. Absolutely. we got about five seconds, Bob. Is there anything else going on in the world we need to know about? Oh, well, just uh, five house races changed, by the way. Uh, Colorado, North Carolina, New York, Pennsylvania, First District, and Texas all changed in the sense that they are up for grabs now, toss-ups for the Democratic side. Those are seats that were not supposed to be in that category. Oh, that's fascinating. Good news. <laughs> Bob Ney with Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Okay, thank you. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. So anyhow, in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.